Turn your Bibles as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, the whole section will begin in verse 28. We find ourselves in Luke at the last week of our Lord's life. We find ourselves at the last week of our Lord's life. This triumphal entry, Sunday or Monday, before he's crucified on Friday, resurrected on Sunday, we are right here at the Passion Week of our Lord. Fred Craddock says that he has a friend in Emporia, Kansas, who calls Palm Sunday false Easter. The man, of course, is borrowing from what many people call false spring. You understand the, the concept of a false spring, don't you? In fact, in our passage, it is spring. It is Passover time. It is early April. We're right there at, at springtime, the climax of spring. Where I grew up, false spring went something like this. You would have several warm days in a row. The peach trees would blossom, the apple trees would bud, and the owner of the orchard would wring his hands because spring had come too early. The trees were responding as if spring had already sprung, and he knew there was some cold weather coming. It wasn't really spring, the early flowering, too early of the trees. It was a fault spring. For a cold snap was sure to follow. They would try to save their orchards, but the buds would freeze and turn brown and fall off. With each flower that falls off, there goes a peach or an apple. I remember watching on the news as a child as the peach growers in our community were trying to brace themselves for a cold diet. They were trying to cover the trees. They were trying to find some way to raise the temperature in their orchards just one degree or two to save the whole season's crop, to save their livelihood. You farmers understand. For false spring was threatening all that they had. The stores here in Amarillo put out the bedding plants way, way too early, don't they? I think there's one Texas date, and they think we're all the same. And people run. They run to the stores to get ahead of their neighbors, to be the first ones to set out those geraniums. You wait until after Mother's Day when it's really safe. That's when it's safe in Amarillo to plant your plants. You wait till after Mother's Day. You go to the store. There's, they're picked over. There's nothing left. Everyone's gotten the good stuff already. But you set them out early, and here comes the cold snap. You can take the potted plants inside, but good luck with those you planted in the flower bed. You cover them up. You try to save them. It's false spring. You win some. You lose some. False spring has its own sting, doesn't it? It looks like it's going to be one thing, and it turns out to be another. Warm weather, sunshine, oh, it feels so good. And then a chilly night, even below freezing, a blue norther blows in and the begonias blow out. It's not for real. 
The robin runs across your lawn looking for worms. You put away the big jackets, clear out your closets, put away the gloves for next year. We won't need these anymore. Yeah, yeah, okay. The robins are gone. Bring in the pets. It's going to freeze tonight. Go looking for that hat and gloves. You've got to get back out. Because it wasn't really spring. It's false spring. Just so this text of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, is it a false spring? I see the point. We all gather together with those early pilgrims and we shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David, a new king like David coming in. It seems to overthrow Rome. We celebrate as if Jesus has arrived to set up this kingdom. We have the Lord's Supper on Thursday or Friday and then it it turns dark again. It wasn't really Easter on Palm Sunday. It's false Easter. The joy doesn't last from this parade anymore than the blooms on the peach trees or the robins running across the lawn. For Friday, crucifixion is right around the corner. Jesus is betrayed by a friend and the rest desert him. Abandon him. His private place of prayer in Gethsemane is shattered by the soldiers. You're under arrest, they shout. The word spreads all over the city that Jesus has been taken. And he's crucified. Cover your plants. Bring in the pets. It's not Easter. Like a warm day marching in this triumphal entry, the pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They were coming in. The throngs were coming in for Passover, marching Jerusalem, marching to Zion. Mile after mile uphill, the wind up to the sandy hills from Jericho, the lowest point on the face of the earth. And that's where they started with Jesus, through the Judean desert, climbing all the way. And halfway up, only halfway up, you reach sea level. And you've got a long way yet to climb. You continue to ascend that fair-sized mountain. And it's hot because it seldom, if ever, rains and dusty, to be sure. It was that way this day when the pilgrim are marching to Jerusalem. And Jesus is going in front of them. See him there marching. He's planned it all along. This is going to be the climax of his story this week, his public career, his vocation. He knew well enough what lay ahead for him, the crucifixion and the cross, but he set his face like Flintstone towards Jerusalem, and he would not be moved. He had only come to, uh, come to pass this kingdom of God only if he embodied all that he'd preached and made it happen in himself. You see, he was bringing in the Passover, sure enough, not the routine Passover of which Exodus was only symbolic, but rather this was God's great Passover finally, and he was the real Passover lamb whose blood spread and shed would save us from the wrath of God like that marked on the doorpost of Israel. 
It's Passover time. It's the height of spring. We crest the summit, and before us is that glistening city of Jerusalem. Itself across and on a slightly smaller hill. The deep valley, the Kidron Valley between you and the glistening city as you're a pilgrim marching Jesus in. That's where the pilgrims are going. On this pilgrimage to end all pilgrimages, it's the Passover. They have a new Messiah. They're marching in. They're waving the palm branches. They're throwing down their cloaks and their coats, and they are certain he is the one. They are escorting in the long-awaited Messiah. Zechariah himself had said in Zechariah 9.9, the Messiah would ride on a young donkey that had never been used before. The disciples pick up that theme of kind of instant royal celebration. They spread their cloaks along the road for him, and down they go down that steep path through the Kidron Valley. The crowd starts a psalm of praise, Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, they shout. The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Spring is here. Easter has arrive. It's a way they've been living their whole, whole lives. When Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, they would see a cripple on the street and they would say, I'm sorry, I can't heal you or help you. But when Messiah comes, the lame will leap. Just wait. When Messiah comes, they said, they see a a household that was hungry and they would say, we, we hardly have enough to eat ourselves or here's a small mitt to get you through the day. But don't worry, when Messiah comes, all the bread will fall from heaven again. When Messiah comes, they say the couple has been married for 14 years and still rocking an empty cradle. So sorry, but when Messiah comes, every house will be filled with laughing children. The girl assaulted by the Roman soldier. Now, now, I know, I know. But when Messiah comes, no more violence. It's what they've been looking for for so long. It's what they've been saying all their lives. When Messiah comes, and now he is here. Jesus is going down the Kidron Valley. He's going to enter the holy city. He's going to the temple. The Messiah at last has arrived. Do you have the courage to tell them that what they're expecting is not going to happen? That it's a false spring? Turn back one chapter to chapter 18. Have you ever noticed what precedes this holy parade? It's kind of an oddity. 1831. In chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus, even as they're making their way, going to, to Jerusalem, through Jericho, where he will heal the blind man and meet a man named Zacchaeus that you all know so well. But verse 31, he took the 12 aside, aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophet about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after 
They have scourged him. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Look at verse 34. And they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Jesus has just told them, even as he's going to Jerusalem, even as they're waving the palm branches and throwing down the coats, he's told them, it's not going to happen like you think. He's indicating he's not going there to overthrow Roman rule, the occupational government. He's not going to sit on a throne right there just like David did. It's a different kind of kingdom. In fact, the Gentiles will arrest me. I'll be spat upon, beaten, crucified. But on the third day, I will rise again. But, but then Luke tells us they would not hear what Jesus was saying or they could not hear what Jesus was saying. You know the end of the story as you read this triumphal entry. You know that Rome is not going to yet be overthrown. You know Jesus is going to, well, his throne is going to be a cross and not a great chair. You, you know. Are you going to tell the crowd right there, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you not remember chapter 18? He already told you it's false spring. It's not really Easter. It's a false Easter. Do you have the courage to walk up to the parade of the pilgrims and say, it's not so. You pass by Ms. Farrow's house and she's on the front porch. She's elderly. She has three children she's caring for. The mom has disappeared. Her daughter, the mom has disappeared. And the dad, he didn't ever show up. She's poor. Poor is Job's turkey and she gets a little check once a month. She's on the porch, she's listening to the radio. What are you doing, Miss Farrow? Listening to some good old music? Nope, no, nope, I'm not. I'm waiting for the broadcast of the numbers to see who won the groceries. What do you mean, Miss Farrow? What are you talking about? Piggly Wiggly. They're giving away $100 worth of groceries and I have a ticket and they're gonna broadcast the, win the winner at 12 o'clock. I have my ticket. I've been praying all week that I win the groceries. I've told my grandkids, they never can't have their friends over and we don't ever have any meat, but tonight, bring your friends. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a feast. Tonight, the winning ticket. Are you gonna go up on that porch where Miss Farrow's listening to the radio and tell her, do you have any idea your chances of winning? Do you realize you're more likely to be hit by lightning right now with no storm clouds in the air than have your name called out in the lottery from Piggly Wiggly? Are you going to tell her that? What, what should Jesus do in the store? He's already tried to tell them, hey, I appreciate your support and I know what you mean, but I'll be dead on Friday. Should he tell them that? Should he let them down easy? Does he have to be harsh or cruel, but gently tell them that they're on the wrong track? This is not the way it's going to be. He is the king. He is the son of David. It's going to be a different kingdom they imagine, and even the kingdom that's going to include the Gentiles, the Romans. It's, it's, it's going to be different than you imagine. Should he let them down? Should he let them down easy so they're not so shocked by the cross? Reminds me of the story of the lady who went to Europe 
She called back home to check on everything and everybody, including her prized Persian cat named Fifi. Finally, in the course of conversation from the girl's trip in Europe back to her husband back home, she said, well, how's Fifi doing? And her husband said, she's dead. She fell off the roof. The lady just dropped the phone. She said, you have ruined the rest of my trip. It's not only what you've told me, it is the way you have told me. That's not, not the way you give bad news. Well, what should I have told you, he said. Well, you know, I was just being honest with you. She said, well, the, when I called the first day, you should have said that Fifi is stuck on the rooftop. And then the next day when I called, you should have said that Fifi has fallen off the rooftop, but she's at the veterinary care, and we're hoping it's hope and hope she gets the very best of care. And on the third day, finally, you could have told me, I would have been ready then, that Fifi had died. I could take it that way. You just don't tell me Fifi fell off the roof and died. Oh, okay, now I'll know how to do it, he said. I'm very sorry. I, I just thought you'd want to know. She called a few days later in usual conversation, and she said, well, well how's my mother doing? And he said, can I just say your mother's on the rooftop right now? <laughs> There's a way to break it to people softly. How are you going to tell these people that the Messiah is the Messiah and he is ushering in the kingdom? He is fulfilling all the prophets, but it's not going to be the way they supposed it to be. They're wishing the story of a poor man in the mountains of North Carolina he had a little cabin lift off what they hunted and grew his kids are on the back steps they have an old Sears Roebuck catalog and they're looking at it they call it the wish book and they're looking at wonderful things like new red wagons and new shoes and clothes and they take turns with the book, looking at the book and wishing. The father comes up and says, what are you kids doing? We're just wishing. He grabs the book, tears it up, takes a switch, switches their legs and tells them to get in the house. What'd you do that for? Well, they shouldn't be wishing. It doesn't hurt to wish. It does too. The switching I gave them is nothing compared to wishing for that which you will never, ever get. Is this just another messianic parade that fails? They'd had messiahs come and go in the past. I even imagine they'd waved the palm branches before. Is this just another failure as a messiah? A would-be, could-be messiah? Notice they talk about, in the passage Bradley read, they talk about his miracles. This one does so many miracles. They thought it'd be different with him. The blind had seen, the lame had leapt. They'd even heard that the dead had been raised. Surely a man who can cause the dead to, to rise, he will be able to be at last a true Messiah. The problem is with the pilgrims in that day, and the problem with us is we want to shape our Messiah into whom we want him to be. We want to mold and make the Messiah. We want to place our expectations for his kingdom, our expectations for his kingdom 
upon him. The Jews wanted to remake and shape their own Messiah, not one that would just fulfill the prophets, but rather one that fulfilled their own hopes and dreams. And the trouble is, he told them time and time again, just in the previous chapter, I'm not going to reign the way you think I'm going to reign. His is a cosmic reign. He's going to reign over all of glory. And it's not going to be just the Jews. There's going to be Gentiles too. I've got, I've got other sheep. But they wanted to make him be who they wanted him to be as Messiah. He told them he'd be handed over to the Gentiles. He told them he'd be handed over to the chief priest. That he was going to suffer. That he was going to die under Pontius Pilate. And he was going to rise again. But when he told them who he really was and how he was really going to be Messiah, you know how they responded? Shh. Don't say that. That's not going to happen. Think of Peter. What are you talking about? Lord, I will never let that happen. That's not the way this is going to be played out. I'll never let that happen, Peter said with his sharp sword, which he drew. Peter, you better get on God's plan. You better get on God's page. Get behind me. You're acting like Satan. Every time he tried to tell them the real plan and the real will of God, they tried to silence him. Or, as Luke tells us, they could not hear or they would not hear what he was trying to say. Don't interrupt the parade with the facts. In some ways, it is a false Easter because these people are not going to get what they expect. And the ones who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, will in due time, in a week's time, be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They're all ready to throw their cloaks and to wave their palm branches on the road in front of him to do the showy and the flamboyant thing. But how many of them are going to do what he's really going to ask? Will you follow me to the cross? The parade is up a hill, but it's a hill called Calvary. They don't. You know the story. They flee and Shout and curse and cry and say, I didn't even ever know the man. Don't know why you think I'm a follower of his. So what have we been trying to make out of Jesus? What do we want Jesus to be for us? From what do we demand that he delivers us? If it's not Roman rule, what is it? Hosanna, Hosanna, the Messiah is here. And now that the Messiah is here, my brother will be healed of cancer. The Messiah is here. Hosanna, Hosanna. Surely at last we'll have a baby. Now, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now that the Messiah is here, surely I'll start on the varsity football team. Hosanna, Hosanna. Now that the Messiah is here, now finally at last... I'll miss the layoffs. I hear it all the time. People line up 
cheering Jesus on until they realize they have perceived things differently and he's going on a cross and he asked them to come to. Is it false Easter? Is it false spring? Is it really? Some years ago, a Jewish community in Oklahoma City announced an advertisement. They're going to have a contest with the school children in Oklahoma City. They had to draw a depiction of the Holocaust, and it had to be realistic. That was the one rule. Kids could draw whatever they wanted, mail it in. There would be a newspaper article, a prize, everything. Nathan entered. Nathan was... 15 or 16, he drew a cold stone wall, black and white pencil sketch, just an old, old, cold gray stone wall, but right in the crack between two stones, he placed a little candle illuminated with light. And he won. This piddling little parade of Jesus, tell them to put the candle out and go home. No, no, don't tell them that. Jesus said, I will always have a witness. In fact, he says there in verse 40, if, this, if these pilgrims are silent, then the stones themselves will cry out. There'll always be a light and a voice for me. Cry out what? That though it is never as we would have imagined, he is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the Son of God. And he refuses to bend and mold his ministries to our expectations. He does, does the ultimate thing. In dying, he is victorious. The last way we would have ever conceived of a victory are the Jews that day of the triumphal entry, the last thing they would have imagined, it was an oxymoron, a crucified Messiah. It could not exist. And that in his death, he wins life. And in the darkness of Good Friday, we have the light, the illumination of Easter morning. Put out the candle of this parade? Never. For Easter is sure to arrive. He will. On that third day, arise. Let us pray. Oh, God, forgive us when we've tried to mold the Messiah into who we want him to be rather than who the prophet said he would be. And may we hear his words that it's God's will that he go to be crucified for only in his death do we find life. And only because his throne is on a cross will we reign with him forever in glory. God, I know that we all try to shape Jesus with our own will and our own way. Maybe there's some folks here this morning, some folks listening by live stream or television who've, 
who've been disappointed with Messiah, even as these early pilgrims were disappointed with the Messiah. Maybe someone here, too, is ready to turn their back on Jesus because he's not delivered the way they imagined. I pray they'd see past the cross to the real Easter, the empty tomb. Perhaps, oh God, there's someone here this morning in this room or or watching. It's her morning, it's his morning to say, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And I will shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'll die with him and I'll rise with him. Maybe there are others who need to come and be a part of this church that wants to tell the whole world this powerful surprising story in the name of Jesus we pray amen